Well, good morning again. I'm Scott Weatherford, and I'm so glad you joined us again for another online version of First Baptist Church Wimberley. And I pray that God is really encouraging you during these days. And today I want to talk about, well, a psalm that really is close to, I believe, all of our hearts, because we live in a day and age where forgiveness and restoration seem to be a far-flung thought on, on our culture. Um, so let's talk about that. One thing I've discovered is there's probably nothing more disgusting, more vile, more uncapped and unclean than a two-year-old child. Now, before you get upset, think about this. They have filthy hands, filthy feet, filthy little mouths. They have no social skills. They have very limited uh, communication skills, and they have terrible personal hygiene. They're little filthy little boogers, but you know what? We love them. They're our adorable little children, and we hold them close, and we celebrate the fact that they're in our lives, no matter of their wretched uh, condition physically. And I understand that, and as they grow older, we celebrate the fact that they actually become self-aware. They can communicate with you. Uh, We celebrate the days when they take ownership of their own personal hygiene, and hopefully one day they get to be thriving on their own, and then the greatest day comes when they give us back little, wretched, filthy grandchildren, and we love them even more. And I understand that this is the way God really sees us. We are really wretched little things, but God loves us. Listen to what Paul said this. We all know uh, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received in the spirit of adoption as sons or daughters, by whom we cry, Abba, Daddy. That's Abba is is Aramaic for Daddy. In fact, you'll hear Abba called out in in the Near East, uh, Far East, Near East all the time. Abba, Father, the Spirit of himself bears witness with our spirits. We're, We're children of God. And that's out of Romans 8. And we know we belong to him because our spirits bear witness to one another, just like our children know who Papa is and Gigi is and Mommy and Daddy, because our spirits are intertwined with the Lord. I will always love my children, my natural children, Caleb and Kayla and my little grandkids, my son-in-law. I will get love, and there's nothing that they could ever do to escape my love for them. Now, I will not always be proud of their behavior, or uh, be thrilled with other decisions they make. But you know what? I will always love them. There's nothing that can separate me from the love of my children. And that's how God loves me. And I want to become like Jesus, and I want to love my kids like God loves me. And I think you do as well. As I ponder all this, the starting revelation comes to me that there are seasons in my life where I really need assurance and restoration from God. Because I do things that the Bible calls sin, and I break my relationship with God. I don't, God doesn't break his relationship with me, but I break it with him. And I, I need to really find that place of restoration, of finding that hope again. Now, I can blame Satan for my sins, or I can blame circumstances for my sins, or I can blame the influence of my culture or my friends for my sin. And I fall into the trap of sin, and I can make all kinds of excuses but really what I need to do is escape from it. I need to be freed from it. I need to be brought back to a place of fellowship with God. Not that he's left me, but that I have forsaken him. And God doesn't want me to live my life trapped by sin. 
He wants me to live my life in the fullness of freedom in relationship with him. And thanks be unto God that he's provided a way of escape. He's provided salvation through Jesus Christ and the restoration through the conviction and the power of the Holy Spirit. But I want to talk to you about sin just a second and just kind of give you some uh, sin facts, as it were, and you'll see these on the screen. Sin often looks fun and often feels fun, and the fun of sin is short-lived. I remember when I was a student pastor, I said to one of our young girls who was in full-blown rebellion, I said, darling, I want to tell you something. Sin's only fun for a season. And she says, well, I'm in my season. It's a little disturbing, but that's the lure and the temptation of sin. Uh, Sin can be committed by actions I do or be by actions of omission, things I don't do. I love the question my wife asked, what are you doing? What should you be doing? That's a great question of self-examination. What am I currently doing that needs to be correcting? What should I be doing? The things that I'm omitting that I should be taking advantage of. And it's that guarding of my soul and the self-actualization to say, this is who I am. This is what I'm up to. Sin often takes you further than you expected to go. You, you get involved with something and pretty soon you're down a rabbit hole and down so much further than you ever intended or thought you might go. In fact, I heard an old preacher say that sin will take you Further than you wanted to go, keep you longer you want to stay, cost you more than you wanted to pay. Well, that's an old preacher axiom, but it's really true. Sin does those things to us. We can think we've overcome a sin and then and only to return with a vengeance. We think we can overcome a habit and it returns with a, with a vengeance. Uh, overcome a hang-up and then it returns with a, a conviction. Overcome a hurt and it returns with a vengeance. And some of you have made decisions to forgive people who've wounded you greatly only for the emotions of unforgiveness to come back, and it haunts you. And what do you do with that? And how do you deal with that? And where do you go with those kind of emotions? And we'll talk about that in a moment. And here's the last sin fact. We're all sinners, every one of us. The Bible says this in in Romans, Paul again, for all have sinned and fall short of God's glory or God's glorious standards, one, uh, one translation says. But here in Psalm 51, as we look at the heart of God, we look at the heart of restoration. David had sinned, and he, had, he needed God to rescue him and restore him. He needed it. Now, during David's days, this is very interesting. We look at the theology of the Hebrew people in the Davidic period. There was no personal pathway back to God. If you sinned personally, there was really no method of reclamation. Now, you could go and once a year they would do that and offer a sin offering, a, the Day of Atonement, but that was more for a corporate forgiveness of sins. Like everybody's sin was in a big bundle and we hauled it off to the temple and they literally used an escape goat. They would take the sins of the people, the priest would place the sins on the goat symbolically and then release the goat into the wilderness. And that's where we get the word the escape goat comes from, that theological movement. But there was really no personal pathway. Now, David, being a man after God's own heart, having the Holy Spirit indwelling him from the time that he was anointed king, he knew more than the theologians of that day. He knew that God was a God of restoration. And in Psalm 51, he shows us the pathway back and how we can return to that intimacy with God, that longing for God, and the forgiveness of sins that brings the cleansing from God. So I want to take you on that adventure today. And I think God's really going to speak to you. And I'm really excited 
you're joining me. Now, I want to encourage you before I pray. I want you to share this. This might be one of the most important messages I give in this series on seeing the heart of God because we all have sinned and fall short of God's glorious standards. We need to hear how God restores. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for what you're going to say to us today. And I pray, Father, that you will um, you will speak through me and that uh, these that are listening that here will just be moved by your truth and your word. And I thank you for how good you are, how great you are, how loving you are. And I pray, Father, that you make yourself famous during this time we have together. Thank you. And I pray this in your name. Amen. Now, I want to encourage you with a few things. If there's something I say that you agree with, you're like, just throw up a little heart or engage with us with a thumb up or something. Because what this does, it encourages us that we're providing content that's helpful to you. So go ahead and, and do that for us. And I'm, I'm watching, uh, of course, every week. I'm, I'm with you and watching this. And so I want you to encourage that. Also, today, we're going to try something very different. Right after the 11 o'clock broadcasting of this gathering, we're going to provide a Zoom link for you, whether you're watching at 9.30 or 11, a Zoom link that you can join for a live uh, question and answer period with me. I'm going to be on Zoom, and I'd love to know you and to talk with you and maybe uh, go a little deeper in this psalm with you. So uh, look forward to that. You know, this is one of the things that really I struggle with in this day of the coronavirus, that uh, I can't be around people. So Zoom will give us a chance to have a contact with one another. So uh, I look forward to that and hope you'll take advantage of that. And you'll see the link. It'll be provided in, in this broadcast today. But let's look at some things about restoration. Here's the first thing. Restoration always starts with cleansing. Always starts with cleansing. This is what God said out of Psalm 51, 1 through 7. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. That means love that has no limit. According to your abundant mercy. Again, repeating what was just said. Blot out my transgressions. I love that word, blot out. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Notice how he says, wash, cleanse, and purify. A blot out. For I know my transgressions, my sins are ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you may be justified by your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. And in sin, my mother did conceive me. Now, in sin, now he's not talking about his birth was illegitimate. It's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the, 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 the curse of original sin, which Augustine developed later, and we won't go down that road. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. I love the fact that David, first thing he did in recognizing his sin, he cried out to God for his mercy, his grace, and his love. You see, David had sinned against Bathsheba. He, he did that. Now, some people think that he forced himself on Bathsheba. I don't think that's true. I think that Bathsheba was a willing participant in adultery. Uh, who knows the motivation of her heart? Maybe David was misogynist. I'm Sure, David had a sexual addiction. He had you know, eight wives and 27 concubines, so he probably had something going on there. But anyway, Bathsheba was entered into this relationship and eventually married David. So you see there's something going on there. He sinned against Uriah that he murdered him. That would be considered sinful in any culture. Uh, but David recognized this and this foremost, that his sin was against God mainly. 
He said, against you and you only have I said. He wasn't negating the fact of sinning against Bathsheba or Uriah. He was dealing with the one who really, who counts the most, and that was God himself. You know, we often get in trouble in our lives when we look around at circumstances or people and we never look up and consider what God wants. Our society is racked with that today. We're looking around for social norms or social edification, and we're not asking God what he thinks. And our society continues to spin into depravity because of that. So David understood this. And restoration really will never happen in your life until you admit you have a problem with God. It won't happen. I can admit I have a problem with you, and and we can somehow come to some place of reconciliation, perhaps, but it'll never be true and honoring until God gets involved, and God must get involved. I remember when our teenagers were teenagers, they would say, Mom, Dad, do you have to drag Jesus into everything? Well, yeah, because he's the Lord of everything, including our behaviors. And so God wants us to face the facts with him, and conviction should lead us to repentance, not to shame and guilt. Now you're going, wait a second, Scott. That's not what religion has taught us all these years, that conviction should lead to a shameful self-loathing and not to admission and recovery. No, conviction always leads to repentance when it comes to God. God convicts you to restore you, not to condemn you. Paul said it this way, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He does these things to bring restoration to us. Notice that David said, he said, wash me. And that means to remove the stain. That he says, cleanse me. That's to restore me to a a right relationship. Wash me, remove the stain. Cleanse me, restore me. And these are powerful word pictures that David is using here about how he desires God to remove the stain of his sin and to bring him back into close fellowship. And David does what we do all the time. This is what he did. He lied to himself first. You see, sin is the lie you believe. He thought he could get away with his actions with Bathsheba, his actions against Uriah. In fact, he covered up this mess for over a year. We talked about a psalm earlier this summer where David literally wasted away because of unconfessed and unrequited sin. And David thought he could get away with it, but it all came down to the fact that he couldn't. We often think this, well, this doesn't apply to me. Man, I have watched pastors fall in the trap of entitlement by thinking they deserve something or this doesn't apply to me, and their lives get broken, dashed upon the rocks of their own stupidity. It does apply to me. And David realized this. Now, notice he said some things about what it was, transgression. That was an act, iniquity. That was the character that precluded the act. And then he crossed the line. David yielded to his sinful nature. And he said, I was sinful when I was conceived. I'm, I'm sinful now. David owned the fact that he was broken. And it starts with that understanding, restoration of who you are and what you need. It always comes about through having a spirit of being cleansed and being right with God. Hmm. David knew that God desired something greater for him and different from him, and he leaned into God's desire, and it began to change me. Wash me with hyssop. What does that mean? Well, that was a 
an axiom or idiomatic phrase to mean a spiritual cleansing. The high priest would take hyssop and he would dip it in the blood of the sacrifice and he would sprinkle it on the altar and it was a sign of a spiritual cleansing. And David drew in that word picture to say, it's not only a relational cleansing I need with Bathsheba and Uriah, but there's a spiritual cleansing I need from God. And I'm asking you in a ritualistic way, God, to move in my life, which is meaningful and significant. It always starts with cleansing. This is what uh, the prophet Isaiah would say years later. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. They are red like crimson. They shall be like wool, the finest and purest of wool. Later, Pastor John would say this to his church in Asia Minor. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we've not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. It's a pretty powerful truth that God says, okay, I'm, you, you're sinful. I'm, I'm going to take care of this. The pastor John comes along and says, hey, you know what you've done. Once you tell it to God, he's already forgiven you and embrace the forgiveness. And when you say, hey, I'm good, you're not good. I remember right when I graduated from seminary, I was called to a little church in South Georgia at one of my uh, first deacons meeting. My pastor was there two months and he left. I'm 25 years old, right out of seminary, kind of in charge of this church and helping this. And one of the deacons says, well, I haven't sinned in over 20 years. I thought, oh, well, you just broke your streak because if you say you've not sinned, you're a liar and his word is not in you. I didn't confront him. I was just a 25-year-old whippersnapper. But I thought, you know, we have a serious problem of self-righteousness. You know what self-righteousness does? It leads you down the road of hypocrisy, and hypocrisy leads you down the road of damnation. Wow. Starts with cleansing. The next thing David said, he had a desire not just to be cleansed, but to be restored. Have you ever had a broken relationship with somebody and you made it right, but then it was awkward? You know, there was maybe words exchange and you went to them and you asked for forgiveness or they asked you for forgiveness and you restored, but it's still awkward. You know, that's how it can be with God sometimes. We do these things and then we have an awkwardness with God. God doesn't want you to live with awkwardness. He doesn't want you to, you to be his creepy friend. He wants to have this close bond with you. Listen to what David said. Let me hear the joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sin and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. I, I, I love this. In fact, there was times in my life when I was studying classical music, we'd sing this as, as, as a song, creating me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And it was just such powerful words. David's sin had affected his whole being. Listen to what he said. He said his eyes were affected, his heart was affected, his bones were affected, his relationships were affected, his spirit was affected. You see, sin just doesn't cloud your mind. Sin clouds your body. It clouds your relationships. It, re- it clouds your health. And God doesn't want you to live under the iniquity and the stain of sin. He wants you to live in the freedom of Christ. David needed more than just cleansing. He needed restoring. And so do we. Now, we could choose 
to live in the shadow of lingering guilt, or we can live in the full-blown presence of being restored. And that's why David said, blot it out. He didn't want to live in the lingering shadows of guilt. He wanted to blot it out. Now, some of you in your marriages, you've had indiscretions or you've done things wrong and and maybe you've reconciled, but you're still living, living in the shadow of lingering guilt. Is it time to get free from that? Maybe there's stuff in your past that you've gone to God and you've asked forgiveness, but the devil keeps dragging it up and reminds you. Don't you want to quit living in the shadow of lingering guilt and be freed? Well, this is where this psalm leads you to, that you could be restored from, by God from your sin. That's such good news. Even as I was preparing for this, Satan was reminding me of my brokenness in my past. Well, you know what I could do? I could remind him of his future. His future ain't so great. In fact, it's a hot future for the old devil himself. Well, but Satan wants me to believe that God will forgive you, but he will, you will forever be flawed and you'll forever be useless. Satan is a liar and the father of lies. So why do you want to believe him? David knew this, created me a clean heart, that the heart was the center place of the deepest feelings. He knew that he needed a steadfast spirit from a cleansed heart that could not be shaken. And only God can change your heart. You can't. Therapy can't. Recovery can't. God can. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. The old has passed away, and behold, his new come, has come new. David saw that the life removed, he saw the Spirit of God removed from Saul, and he didn't want that. He wanted a new heart. He wanted a clean heart. And he wanted to dwell in God's Spirit and dwell in God's trust. Now, and, and God indwells us with His Spirit, and we're not going to lose His Spirit, but we could sure feel like it's gone, but it's not, because God will never let go of us. We can reject God. And, and, and after we believed, but God will never reject us. He'll either bring us to a place of repentance or he'll call us on to himself because he never gives up on us. I love that security that comes from God. So let's kind of wrap this up with this thought. Why don't we take our mess and we turn it into a message? Turn our mess into a, a message. Listen to what David says. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you Deliver me from my blood guilt, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise, for you do not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with burnt offerings. The sacrifice of God or a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. There's nothing more powerful in our life than a life that's been restored. Nothing more powerful. You know, we live in what we call the cancel culture now. I hear that word thrown around, and it, it, it has a different meaning than we thought. The cancel culture, what I thought would meant that we want to kind of not repeat the sins of our fathers and our forefathers, and that's not what it means at all. It means that you're going to be held accountable for everything you've ever done plus everything your forefathers have ever done. And you can't, there's no, there's no repentance, there's no recovery, there's no restoration, it's all condemnation, and it's a, a demonic ploy to divide us further into tribalism. It's what it is. 
And instead of looking at statues and saying, I don't want to be like that, to tear them down and to, to discredit you for anything you've ever done or your forefathers have ever done. I think that's kind of interesting. God does not want you to live in a canceled culture. He wants you to live in a redeemed, restored culture because we're all broken, all of us. Even the elites who think they're not are. And I'll talk more about that in Psalm 53, um, the Monday Psalm, when I release that coming up on Monday. You see, blood guilt was the sin of Uriah. David committed murder. God could even forgive that. Wow. God is not into cancel culture. He's into restoration. That's what he's into. David was wealthy enough to buy his way out of all this stuff. He could have put on a big display of sacrifice and public worship and all this stuff, but he could not bribe God, and we can't either. You see, God looks at our heart. He sees who we really are. And a contrite heart is a place of praise, a place of restoration, a place of saying, Jesus, I'm yours. Hmm. I could close this talk with a lot of things, and, but what I want to do is I want to tell you a story about a man who is broken, a guy that maybe you've heard of, maybe you haven't heard of, but I know you've heard his song. His name's John Newton. He was an old preacher from England, preached till he's, well, till his late 90s. He was a, well, he was a reprobate in his young days. He was a slave trader. He sold human cargo, human trafficker, captured and sold slaves. But on the deck of a slave ship, he found Christ in the middle of a storm. And God took that vile man and he turned him to a great evangelist. In fact, he joined William Wilberforce in the movement to abolish slavery. The very man who profited off the backs of human cargo became the very man who was restored by God to be the champion for human rights. He wrote that famous song, Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Interesting, some musicologists think that he heard that tune hummed from the slaves below his deck because it has a very familiar African melodic pattern. Wherever he heard the tune, the words were true. We often sing that song, but we skip a verse, and I want to share that verse. It said this, The Lord has promised good to me. His word my hope secures. He will my shield and portion be as long as life endures. Why did this old reprobate sing a song like that? Because he had experienced the reclamation and redemption and restoration of a great God. And so can you, and so can I. That the amazing grace of God is greater than all our sins. And his love is without limit. And his mercy endures throughout all generations. I believe that this message of restoration is so important in our society today because we are divided by condemnation, by accusation, and by rebellion. It's time for the church, that's us, the body of believers, to declare we have a God who restores, who redeems, who reclaims, and makes new. And he starts with you. 
Will you let him do that to you today? I pray you will.